0: Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the self-proclaimed preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the greatest territory in the history of the professional wrestling industry, the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. I am one of three. I'm going to bring in the, uh, the other two. I'm going to bring in uh, Polish Joe and Mick Karch and... It's, it's a busy week for us, guys. Number one, we've got a really fun show that I think a lot of our old school fans are going to really appreciate. Because I feel like this is one that goes back to a certain extent that hopefully will bring back some of those memories. But also, it's a busy week because last week, Joe and I had a chance to do a, uh, do a Q&A and, and just kind of a, a fun little ditty with the MAW Fan Fest. And then you and I, Mick, in just a couple of days, we are going to be heading down to uh, Waterloo, Iowa for the uh, Hall of Fame weekend. And, and we're going to be part of the podcast collective. So it's going to be a busy, busy week for you boys.
1: Very busy and very grateful to be able to participate in this stuff to, uh, to work with not only MAW, but of course, Impact Pro Wrestling and everybody at the Waterloo Hall of Fame. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're geared up, we're ready, and it's going to be a good time
2: i had a blast this past saturday i am disappointed i'm not able to make it down to iowa other work commitments have gotten in the way there but i'm sure the two of you can uh can carry the tag team we'll do the best we can
0: we will have a uh, a mystery partner let's see who we let's see who we can book if nobody can make it right
1: there you go. There
0: you go. Well, yeah. it, it won't be like throwing Bobby Heenan in when uh, somebody can't make the town. It's it's not going to be quite like that, but Joe, we're going to miss you this weekend and we'll recap it next week when uh, when we get back. Yes. So, today guys, before we get into it, uh, I got to take care of some business. You see 7th Avenue Pizza up there. Great time for pizza, you guys. 7thavenuepizza.com. Uh really great fresh ingredients. It's frozen pizza. It doesn't it doesn't taste frozen. I love it. I love their Lucky 7, their breakfast pizza, too, my favorites. Uh, they've got the uh, the meatball and pepperoni. That's a banger. Uh, 7thAvenuePizza.com. And as well, if you're looking for some gimmicks, we have got gimmicks. But we've got gimmicks courtesy of SodaStick, SodaStickCO.com. I'm going to put the little logo up there in the right-hand corner.
2: oh well there we go there there it is 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 it up there
0: oh yeah 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 i can't see it
1: it's right there pal all good really
0: yep you're shitting me i can't see it no i seriously can't see it okay well as long as it's up there as long as it's up there that's good uh that's where you can get your awa unleashed gimmick i swear to god i cannot see it it's transparent so you i'm glad you're letting me know that it's up there if you want if you want t-shirts We've got the black and white t-shirts. Those are the brand new ones. We have some limited edition ones that uh, the old uh, white ones that we may or may not have in Waterloo this weekend. So we may have a couple of those accessible. And by the way, when it starts to get cold, if you want a hoodie, uh, you can get your name uh, inscribed on the inside sodastickco.com. Use the promo code unleash. You get 15% off. Okay, guys. This is a, a a fun show. I'm actually going to take myself out of the stream for a good majority uh, because I got some roofers that uh, are doing some work. So I'm going to bounce. I'm going to be here putting up some pictures. But, Mick, I'm going to let you guys take it away because this is one that I, I feel our fans are really going to enjoy. And it's going to be one that I, I hope brings back some really, really fond memories.
1: You know, I've said many, many times, it's it's uh, our demographic, uh, partly because of the wrestling business, partly because of life in general, and you know, people live and then they and then they're gone. Uh, our demographic kind of leans to the mid '70s into the '80s, and of course, the demise of the '90s. But the AWA got started in 1960, folks. So there was a good decade plus of tremendous wrestling prior to that with some of the greatest stars in the world. And I know it sounds like Roger Kent, you know, doing a carnival bark, but that's, that was a fact. And even before it was the AWA, when it was just the Minneapolis territory, anybody who was anybody came in through the Minneapolis area and became a star. And we're going to look at some of the, uh, bring up some of the pictures of, uh, um, uh, some of the stars from back then some will click immediately oh yeah I remember that guy some people are gonna look and say hey wait a minute I never heard of him tell me about him so uh, old school fans you're gonna remember new school fans we're gonna we're gonna update you and this should be a good one
2: yeah so before we get into it we'll a lot of these guys you can search up on on YouTube we've said it before we don't own the rights to the video footage. So we don't want to get into any of that. But as long as you're going to be on YouTube, look us up. Click that like button on our YouTube channel. That's how we can grow. That's how we can continue to do this show for you. And let's admit it for us, because I love doing these shows. And today is one that I looked at the list of names, Nick. That, that, that you put together for this. There's a lot of these guys that I've never even heard of. Not that I'm a complete wrestling or AWA expert, but a lot of these guys I would never even heard of. So I'm guessing that they're gonna go back to the 60s and so forth. But again, we'll call out the names, do yourselves a favor, learn more about these guys Look them up on the internet, in particular YouTube, and while you're there, click that like button on our AWA Unleashed YouTube channel. One thing I would
1: say, Joe, is I put together, I don't know, 18, 20 names, you know, to start us off here. There are literally dozens of names. The list is endless. You know, when you talk about the AWA, people immediately think, oh, Vern Gagne, Nick Bockwinkle, The Crusher, Mad Dog, Rashad, blah, blah, but you know what? There is a whole bevy of wrestlers, main event level stars that came through the AWA, not just in the Minneapolis area, but in Chicago, in Omaha, in Denver, you know, in in Winnipeg and so forth. So this may be episode number one and maybe a continuing uh, theme down the road. So I'm looking forward to this one.
2: Well, going on what you just said, Mick, it's a testament that... Yeah, you had your Nick Bockwinkles and your Vern Gagne's Crushers, Mad Dogs, but it takes those guys on the undercard to make a complete wrestling show, whether it's a live event or a TV show. It really does take a team. So these guys deserve their place in AWA and wrestling history, whatever level you want to put them at. But the fact is, they deserve their recognition, and that's what we're gonna to give to them today.
1: Yeah, Joe, and and don't not to belabor the point or anything, but there's not a lot of the 1960s guys left for sure. I mean, there just isn't. It's you know, less than 10, I know that for a fact that are still with us. And if we don't talk about them, name a podcast that's gonna talk about them. I mean it's name a wrestling magazine that's gonna talk about them. Uh they deserve their moment in the sun they provided the entertainment for me and old school guys like me when i was growing up they paved the way for you know what may or may not be an evolution of uh, professional wrestling but uh we're going to talk about these guys and and kudos
2: thanks for the memories so let's get into it the very first one that we have on our list i actually had the opportunity to work with. He was a newer era. It's funny to say newer era when it was, oh, 30 years ago. (laughs) I know, blink and here we are. But this guy, just sad that he passed away too soon because I really thought that he had what it took to be able to make it to main event status. And the guy that I'm talking about is Larry the Butcher Cameron Larry Cameron uh, who unfortunately
1: passed away as a result of a heart attack I believe 1993 uh, I can't I can't imagine what kind of future there would have been for Larry Cameron uh, he worked as, as Larry the Butcher, as you said, did some time in, in WCW, and then he was a lethal Larry Cameron. When I was in Australia in 1991, we did a tour over there with the International Wrestling Associates, Association, the IWA. And Larry Cameron was a heel champion for the IWA, it absolutely mesmerized the crowd completely and totally had them in the palm of their hand. He was a monster heel. Um, Sad to say, you know, uh, I, I don't think it was lifestyle. You know, Larry had a heart condition that people did not know about. But he would walk into the arena, guys, and the spotlight would hit on Larry. And he had this glare. He had this look about him. And just extraordinary. And people who saw him later on in WCW and even in the dying days of the AWA have no idea just how great uh, Larry Cameron was and would have been wrestled, of course, extensively for Eddie Sharkey's PWA promotion. And uh, sad to say, uh, it, it's hard to believe it's 30 years ago that we lost Larry, but what a tremendous competitor. I'm not sure if we're having an issue with the, with the pictures. Um, We got a photograph of Larry coming up, but nonetheless,
0: yeah, uh, I've been, I've been working to try and, and put it up here guys. And for some reason, the pictures just are, they're not going up uh, as easily as they normally do. So I'm going to, I'm going to continue to, uh, to work on it here and and you guys just continue to do your thing there. And uh, I'm just, I'm going to continue to try and get the pictures up here.
2: Okay, sounds good. So, just about Larry, the uh, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not, I, I, I don't know why he had a heart attack so young. All I can surmise is that it's during a period in the business where um, there's a lot of steroid use, yeah. Um, I mean, the the the, the, the <laughs> won't even get behind the scenes on the other things that they were putting into their body, but. Um, I I gotta believe that uh, steroid use had uh, something to play and took away a, a, a talent. Somebody again that I think really, really could have gotten to the main event level. He was that yeah. good. There's Larry. There's lethal Larry. And you know, outside
1: of the ring, so soft-spoken. I'm telling you, I was so jealous of this guy in Australia. You talk about a chick magnet. I mean, Larry, he Larry had him like all over him and uh, very soft-spoken, genteel outside of the ring, but inside the ropes, a bruiser, a brawler, a tough guy, and a real showman. And uh, thank you for the memories, Larry Cameron.
2: All right. Next guy on our list, we're going to go down to um, where I think he made his biggest impact was down in Florida. This guy was known as Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods. Tim
1: Woods, uh, the original Mr. Wrestling, and there's Tim, tremendous amateur wrestler, one of the great amateur wrestlers actually in the history of the United States, uh, made his foray into the business under his own name, uh, Tim Woods, but they called him Mr. Wrestling because of his scientific wrestling skills back in the day when a baby face was a baby face and there was no <laughs> question about it. Uh, eventually, of course, Tim uh, donned a mask and became officially Mr. Wrestling number one, followed up by Mr. Wrestling number two, which was Johnny Walker. Uh, Tim wrestled here in the sixties, not a long time here in the AWA and surprisingly didn't get to top tier status. He was semi-final. I don't recall if he got into a couple of main events. I believe he did, but a great technical wrestler, one of the all-time greats in the business. And again, one of the cornerstones early on in the history of the AWA.
2: So I'm I'm speculating yet again, which I will be doing quite a bit, because a lot of these guys I didn't work with or they're before my time. But, uh, I'm guessing that Tim didn't, or Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods, was he Tim Woods when he was with the AWA? He was. Okay. Was Tim Woods, he was not yet Mr. Wrestling. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. So Tim Woods, my, my speculation is that he was so new, or he was still pretty green, starting his career, early, or maybe it was just earlier in his career, and that's maybe why he didn't get the push. And then, of course, you throw in that there's Vern and Crusher and Mad Dog and, and everything else. So don't know that he would have gotten there, but he certainly made his mark down in Florida. That well, you
1: know, and then as you're speculating, there is that one caveat to the Minnesota winter as opposed to the Florida winter. <laughs> you know,
2: given an option. Um, okay. There is that. Next guy on our list, Uh, you've heard the last name before, and uh, he had a brother that uh, surprisingly had the same last name. I'm talking about Chris Tolos. Of course, his brother was the Golden Greek John Tolos. So give us a little bit more on Chris Tolos. Well, the Tolos brothers themselves, one of the
1: great all-time tag teams in pro wrestling. I believe it was Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, uh, where the Tolos brothers came from. Uh, Chris Tolos appeared here as a singles wrestler in the mid-1960s and had a feud, a main event feud, and a good one, uh, with the Crusher. Uh, John Tolos, of course, by the time he got to the AWA uh, back in the mid-1980s, his best best days were long behind him. But, uh, Chris, as a singles wrestler, had the feud with the Crusher. And it was interesting. Chris had a finishing hold that he called the corkscrew. And it was, in essence, basically the same type of brain buster maneuver into the into the temple uh, that Blackjack Lanza used later on.
0: You and mean what a maneuver? Sorry. What a maneuver.
1: That's right. That's, that, that's correct. When all else fails, you can always go to what a maneuver. I want you to remember that. In life, it's a life lesson. <laughs> uh, but Chris Tolis, great promo guy, tough guy. And, again, you're talking about, gee, I didn't know who this guy is. I didn't know that he had a feud with a crusher. Yeah, and this is shortly after Crusher had turned uh, babyface, I believe, in the AWA or, or thereabouts, uh, give or take, uh, tough guy. I really enjoyed the work of Chris Tolis. And, again, Tolis brothers, they're out there on YouTube old black and white footage. So uh, thank goodness you can still catch them.
2: And of course, shameless plug, hit that like button on our YouTube channel. Oh, our next guy, uh, I remember him. Uh, he would have been, if I'm not mistaken, mid, late 70s, an uh, in, uh, in, in oriental wrestler. Uh, I'm guessing he maybe used some... Ceremonial salt, uh, you know, the, the, the whole stereotype that was used back in the day and uh, quite too often. But Kim Duck. Kim Duck, uh,
1: who teamed up with the late Buddy Wolf. So you had a wolf and a duck uh, up <laughs> here in, in the AWA area. Kim, of course amazingly came under the tutelage of Stan Crusher Kowalski. And Stan, of course, back in the day with the Kobayashis and the Kim Ducks and the Ivan Koloffs, always bring in kind of the, the foreign menace into the AWA area. Uh, Kim, when he left the AWA, went on to the World Wrestling Federation as Tiger Chung Lee. So I'm sure a lot of wrestling fans, more modern-day fans, uh, we'll remember him uh, from, from that stage. One interesting thing, and this was just classic, and, you know, Bobby Heenan again. Uh, we've got a uh, a Bockwinkle convention at uh, Care 11 Television in the Twin Cities, and uh, Bobby and Nick Bachwinkle are sitting up at the front of the uh, kind of a guest room and schmoozing with the fans, and Kim Duck comes walking in. I don't know if he went to get a Coke out of the pop machine or whatever. But Bobby Heenan, of course, looks at Kim and says, "Oh, is my laundry ready?" You know, and and <laughs> typical, you know, not exactly PC. Uh, you know, certainly it wouldn't be today. But uh, but it got a laugh from the crowd and from from Kim Duck. So Kim Duck, Tiger Chung Lee, uh, thank you for the the roads that you traveled here in the AWA as well.
2: Next guy on our list, I slightly remember him, uh, the I see, I want to say early 70s, maybe even in the mid-70s. Good-looking, um, I believe he was a hell of an amateur wrestler as well, Evan Johnson.
1: This is quite the story. Evan Johnson, who was trained by Vern Gagne, Evan was a great amateur wrestler out of the University of Minnesota. And as a matter of fact, he was an Olympian, a legit Olympian wrestler. Uh, I believe Evan finished maybe sixth or seventh in in one of the Olympic games. I believe might have been Montreal. Uh, Got into the business, did some mid-card stuff here in the AWA. I always have thought that Vern kind of envisioned a lot more from Evan Johnson than transpired. Uh, Evan teamed up with Steve Olsonowski on a couple of occasions, and uh, you know they, they formed a pretty good tag team combination, actually. And uh, again, Evan didn't quite connect, and I don't know if it was a personality issue, uh, as you have said, Joe. Those uh, babyface promos—that's a tough road to haul, uh, especially if you're if you're just not a, an elaborate kind of an exuberant guy always kind of wondered what happened to Evan Johnson, why he got out of the business. And I saw online the other night that at some point in the 1970s, Evan Johnson was wrestling in Florida and he wrestled Dick Slater, the notorious dirty Dick Slater. And apparently their match was not just bad. It was the shits. And apparently Evan Came back into the locker room and he was looking for Dick Slater so they could discuss their match. And at some point, uh, Evan got sucker punched by Dick Slater, and uh, Dick continued the the assault. And again, hearsay—I don't know this for fact—but I don't know that Evan was around the business for too much longer than that. But from a technical standpoint, Olympic wrestler might have been just you know just exactly. What Vern Gagne was looking for, but you know, Vern didn't click on all cylinders with all his uh, his proteges, and Evan Johnson kind of a, a blip on the radar in the AWA.
2: Was there some backstory to uh, Evan Johnson that sort of came out recently? I I do not know. Okay, heard... just wanted just wanted to check. I had heard some rumors and rumbles. Maybe we'll look into that, and if we uncover something will become the perry mason of uh, of uh, awa wrestling podcasts we'll see yeah that.
0: and i just want to let people know that the pictures today are a little bit hit and miss I'm um, sitting here working on them reloading them some of them are working some of them aren't so if you see them and they're a little disjointed it's just a little little off right now got some things going on around the house so i think i got some signal issues so well just the, just
2: just to let you guys know the only downside is that you guys going to have to look at us more than, than photos on some occasions. So we'll apologize for that one. That is a downside too. But you know what? Unsubs- and, and, unsubs- unsubscribe I'm
0: unsubscribed to YouTube then unsubscribe. No, I'm just kidding.
1: yeah yeah. Okay. Hey, just don't, don't give him another reason. Um, <laughs> but what I would say wrestling fans listen to the words. I mean it's in that sense if you don't see the picture, just envision that you're listening to it. You're not looking at YouTube or whatever, because we want to give you the verbal history of the guys that laid the foundation for the A.W.A.
2: Well, and the A.W.A. always prided itself on having international wrestlers. And our next one comes by way of the French Foreign Legion. (laughs) He was called Pepe Le Pew. Uh And if you don't remember or know who that is, I am talking about Sergeant Jacques Goulet.
1: Sergeant Jacques Goulet, Rene Goulet, uh, Bob Bredard, who came to the French Foreign Legion (laughs) by way of Canada. Uh,
2: (laughs) French-Canadian, hey.
1: There you go, there you go. Um, To me, one of the great and underrated heels in the history of the business, he was such a ring general, and we've talked about him before. You know, there's guys that, You know, they're just there, and you don't really appreciate how good they are, especially in this modern era of professional wrestling. A good, solid journeyman, whatever you want to say, kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And back in the day, you know, in the 1970s especially, Jacques was part of the Legionnaires tag team uh, that wrestled the Crusher and Dick the Bruiser at the amphitheater in Chicago total riot situation. They were absolutely despised. And unfortunately, when Jacques or Rene came to the AWA, he got saddled in a feud with somebody who had called him Pepe Le Pew, and they kind of went back and forth. And, you know, we don't need to elaborate on that too much. But I, I want to tell you, when you, if you ask the veterans in this business who the stars were that really people could learn from, where the young guys could listen and learn. Rene Goulet, Sergeant Jacques Goulet was one of those guys. Passed away not all that long ago, and uh, a great name in AWA history.
2: I remember the name because I've got a, a good friend of mine who listens to the podcast, uh, Todd Peterson, and uh, they 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 call him Sarge, and it's after Sergeant Jacques Goulet. Um, right. He had has a, a, a mild resemblance to the... French foreign legionnaire. Uh, our next guy, I have to admit, I never heard of him. Uh, my uh, little research that I do do, uh, he was big up in uh, in uh, Sheik's territory up in Detroit. I'm talking about Cowboy Tex McKenzie.
1: Tex McKenzie. I want you to envision this guy, if, if you don't have Texas' picture up, he was about six foot nine, six foot ten, and that was legit. He was a big man. There's there's the Sergeant Jock. Well, Renee, you know, made his appearance a little bit late, but nonetheless, hey, we'll take it. There he was, uh, Sergeant Jock Goulet. But going on to Tex McKenzie, Tex was a babyface wrestler here in the AWA during his stint here, and that's what we're talking about. He had a uh, a much more lengthy career. Uh, out on the East Coast in the IWA promotion, working alongside Johnny Powers and guys like that. Uh, Tex McKenzie also had wrestled as Dakota Mac. Uh, again, big using the the cowboy gimmick. He held a record for a while here in the AWA area of the fastest pinfall on a major show. There he is. There's Big Tex, and I, I'm not sure if the maybe the Tex Mex. Food that he had just prior uh, to posting for that picture might have had something to do uh, with his expression, but Tex McKenzie defeated Pompero Furpo. They had a feud here in the AWA, and Tex defeated Pompero in four seconds. Four seconds. Basically, it was Pampero attacked him before the bell. Uh, the bell rang. Tex turned around, gave him a chop, and that was it. One, two, three. Interesting story. And again, you got you had to have been there, but. Uh, Hopefully, when I give you these stories, you, you'll appreciate it. I'm at Las Vegas, CAC, several years ago, one of the first years I was there in Texas there, and I had him sign a program for me. And Tex, all nine of them, was kind of going from side to side because Tex, Tex imbibed in a few cocktails. And uh, and literally, you kind of thought that the, you were talking to the Leaning Tower of Pisa, uh, but... I said to Tex as he's signing the program, said, oh, my God, how long far back does that go? I said, Tex, are you all right? He said, sober as a judge. <laughs> and that was the last I saw Tex McKenzie. I don't think he reappeared the rest of the night. Uh, so, But, yeah, again, just an aside, I like to throw that shit out there at you once in a while. But uh, Cowboy Tex McKenzie, Dakota quarterback, whatever you want to call him, Really a big-time player in the IWA promotion uh, out East. And uh, for a short time, a mainstay run here at the
2: AWA. Next guy on our list, I certainly have heard of him. I think a lot of our fans will. Uh, but he does fall under the category of uh, forgotten faces. Uh, and and uh, this guy put together very well, Mr. Pepper Gomez. Pepper Gomez is one of the great wrestlers in
1: history, one of the most famous wrestlers in history. And that's not hyperbole. Um, Pepper wrestled for a long, long time. He was over so big in the San Francisco Bay Area, along with Ray Stevens, ventured into Hawaii, literally all over the country, all over the world. He wrestled here in the AWA in the 1960s and 1970s. He was another one of these guys, you know, that had tremendous condition and it would oftentimes, you know, do a feat of strength or show how strong his stomach muscles were. Uh, he teamed up with Red Bastine uh, for quite a while. Uh, and back in the day, again, you have to envision a time when baby faces were baby faces and heels were heels. And it was a clear delineation. There was no, you know, overstepping any bounds or boundaries or anything else. And Pepper was so popular. Uh, he gave, he, he worked in Chicago too extensively. Very, very popular in Chicago, working for Bob Luce. One thing about Pepper, again, he would occasionally show some fire in the interviews, nothing over the top, but he identified with the fans in such a way, on such a, you know, emotional level that he was over huge. And in the the history of pro wrestling, when you look at the annals of the business itself, this is a mainstay superstar who graced us with his presence here in the AWA early on.
2: This next guy falls under the category of, I have to admit, I've never heard of him. Rock Rogowski. Gotta love the last name. He's obviously a pole. So, hey, I'm, I'm really interested to hear more about this one.
1: You're gonna choke yourself on this one, Mr. Chupik, because Rock Rogowski, who was trained by Vern Gagne, and at one time was uh, labeled a nephew, I believe, of the Crusher and the (laughs) Bruiser—one or the other, or both, or you know, everybody was a nephew to Crusher and Bruiser, even you. But Rock (laughs) Rogowski, when he left the AWA. He picked up a moniker that you may or may not be familiar with, Joe, and that was Ole Anderson. So there you go. Rock Rogowski, uh, who was actually the AWA's original Rock, uh, once he left the territory, and again, he was a babyface up here uh, in the late 60s, uh, 1970-ish era, went down to Atlanta, and, you know, you could do 15 weeks on Ole Anderson. Uh, one of the the classic characters in this business, the original grumpy old man, even before I got the title, uh, Ole Anderson, legendary, love him, hate him. You got to be perplexed by him, admire him, whatever it is. But yeah, that's how he got his start. Alan Rock Rogowski uh, became Ole Anderson and was trained by Vern Gagne. And, to this day speaks very highly of her and incidentally uh, wrote a book on professional wrestling, his bio, which is one of the best bios uh, out there. So yeah, there you
2: go. So we'll go from Ole Anderson to the next guy, Gene Anderson. The difference is Gene Anderson was his real name. Was it not? Imagine that.
1: Uh, Gene Anderson, there he is right there. That's Big Gene out of South St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, your Country. Go. Get, you, get you going there, Chupik. Uh, Gene Anderson was a former Minnesota State High School wrestling champion. He was the real deal. Uh, he was a legitimate tough guy. And as you said, the interesting about Gene is that you had the Anderson brothers Gene, Oli, and Lars. Gene was the only legitimate Anderson of the bunch. Uh, as I said, uh, Oli was Rock Rogowski, and uh, Lars Anderson, of course, was Larry Hainimi. And, you know, you probably another 30, 40 Andersons out there that want to claim they were part of that uh, collage. <laughs> but uh, Gene Anderson, no-nonsense. And, you know, many times if you watch those old 1980s tapes of Georgia championship wrestling, you will see Gene and Ole in tag team competition. And Gordon Soley will always make mention to the the, the the methodical way the Andersons would work over a body part, you know, and, and how from a scientific standpoint, how brilliant that was. Um, Gene Anderson in his run in the AWA did not, Did not connect. Uh, I I don't recall too many matches that he won, uh, although there were some, but he was nowhere near the mainstay talent that he got to be when he left the AWA. But again, in terms of legitimacy in this business, they don't make him any more legitimate than they did Gene Anderson. No doubt.
2: Next guy on the list, I've heard of this guy, at least the, the name is recognizable, but I want to learn more from our uh, resident expert here, Bob Boyer.
1: Bob Boyer. And again, in the scheme of things, the new school fans, are, huh? Who's Bob Boyer? Well, there's Bob Boyer right there. And, and just, yeah, we could have put a face up there and said that was Bob Boyer, but that is... And uh, Bob was a great veteran of this business, uh, kind of a journeyman wrestler. He became Bobby Bold Eagle uh, in in some areas of the country, W.W.A., working for Dick the Bruiser, so on and so forth. In his A.W.A. run, this is what is legendary, I guess you could say, about Bob Boyer. Back in the day, in the mid-1960s, Danny Hodge was the AWA light heavyweight champion, and he would come in maybe once, twice a year to defend the light heavyweight championship. Bob Boyer and our friend Eddie Sharkey had a series of matches to determine who would get into the ring with Danny Hodge for the light heavyweight championship, and they would go to a series of draws the first one might be 20 minutes. The second one, 30. Well, let's extend the time limit to 45 minutes. And eventually, Bob Boyer went over in that series of matches and got his, uh, his title shot at uh, Danny Hodge. Eddie, of course, had his title shot to Danny Hodge. Neither Boyer nor Eddie uh, was able to crash the nugget and uh, take the championship from Danny Hodge, which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, in Eddie's case that was a mistake they should have excuse me at least given eddie a little bit of a run there but bob boyer very very nice guy he's still around no question about it i see his picture at some fan fest 80 some years old but uh thank you for the memories bob boyer bobby
2: bold eagle very interesting so the, the the next guy You got a preface. We we had brought up Johnny or you had brought up Johnny Walker earlier, and we're not certainly promoting uh, drinking booze here, but we go from Johnny Walker earlier to Black Jack Daniels.
1: Black Jack Daniels. I I get the connection. I see what you did there. There he is. And Jack Danielson was his name. Black Jack Daniels was a journeyman wrestler, uh, wrestled all over the United States extensively. He formed a tag team with our buddy Stan Crusher Kowalski. Uh, They did not have a lot of success here in the AWA as a team. Uh, Stan had far more success as an individual wrestler. But the interesting thing about Black Jack Daniels, Jack Danielson, is that he and Stan were real-life brothers-in-law. Stan Kowalski had uh, married uh, Cleo, Jack Daniels' uh, sister, and uh, so that's a, a little inside track, but they're kind of the old lumberjack look uh, to Blackjack Daniels and uh, wrestled into the seventies, I believe. And again, a modicum of success here in the AWA, but in the scheme of things, when you're looking at the guys that blazed the trail, that laid the foundation and were workhorses here in the AWA and had some notoriety, uh, blackjack. Daniel's definitely one of those guys. So hats off to Jack.
2: Next guy, I, I, I certainly have heard of uh, of our of our next person. Fantastic legend. I actually used uh, some footage of his for a pay-per-view that I had uh, produced, um, uh, highlighting guys from the 1950s. And this guy is Edouard Carpentier. Give us a little bit more insight, Mick. Edouard Carpentier,
1: in my estimation, blazed the trail and set the standard for what you see as the luchadores today. He was a tremendously gifted wrestler. Uh, again, I believe Edouard was actually French-Canadian. Uh, he came into the business about the time that Mad Dog Bashan got in, maybe a little bit later on. Former World Heavyweight Champion uh, before the AWA, became the AWA. Edward continued to wrestle here on and off sporadically uh, into the 1960s. Tremendously popular with the crowd. He was put together like a brick shit house. I mean, this guy, and, and he was just extraordinary, and he had some... Uh, Great matches with the likes of the Kobayashis. And then Nick Bachman was going into the 70s, uh, into the 60s. He had title matches with Vern Gagne. And Vern was the subtle heel there uh, because fans were kind of looking maybe for a change even back then. And Mark Carpentier, this is what's interesting. He would get an opponent in the corner and he kind of mount the ropes you know, maybe he hit the opponent six, seven times. And then he'd do a backflip out of the corner into the middle of the ring. And that was his high spot. Nowadays, you see that 150 times a match to the point where it doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, when Edward did it and he just landed in the middle of the ring, a simple move, it exploded the crowd. And, again, I realize I'm dating fans by, what, are you kidding me? Something, yes. They popped for something like that because that's all it took. They waited for it. They didn't have to see it 150 times in the first 10 minutes of a match. Uh, Edward Carpentier, one of the great all-time professional wrestlers, bar none. Top 10, top 20, no question.
2: Uh, things have definitely changed uh, a little bit inside that squared circle. There's, uh, Sadly, sadly, but that's just... Evolution, I suppose. Yeah, right. This next guy, I have heard his name brought up many times, even back in the 80s when I was producing the AWA. But I don't know anything about him. Bill Casisto.
1: Bill Casisto. God love Bill Casisto. One of the nicest guys that you would ever want to meet in the world of professional wrestling. His wrestling career as an in-ring performer stopped many years prior to the inception of the AWA. Bill had been uh, seriously injured. I believe it was a, a neck injury in a match. Uh, what happened with and he also had refereed many, many times over the years. Bill eventually became one of the key players in the AWA office. Uh, the American Wrestling Office, Minneapolis Boxing and Wrestling Club. It was Vern Ganya, Wally Carbo, and Bill Casisto. Those were the three. That was the trifecta in the AWA. And Bill had as much on-screen presence as Wally did or you know, certainly you know Vern did, but from a from a, uh, an authority type figure. Uh, Bill Casisto would every once in a while, they would call him a matchmaker. Matchmaker Bill Casisto was promoter Wally Carbo, matchmaker Bill Casisto. And I'm not sure where the line was drawn there. I don't know if Bill was more of a grunt uh, than Wally, but I had the opportunity many, many times to chat with Bill, uh, both in the wrestling office and away from wrestling out in the Golden Valley, Minnesota area just a nice, nice guy. and he had unfortunately a bad heart condition and I believe Bill left us, oh gosh, I'm gonna say 70s, 80s, I'm not sure early on. I, I should have looked that up, but uh, in, in the in the scheme of things in the AWA, he was a key player. He was kind of that buffer again like Wally was between Vern and the talent. So his legacy in the AWA, uh, certainly lives
2: forever. Um, going off script just a little bit. We don't need a lot of spend a lot of time on it. But when you're talking about the front office and the you know the the authority figure type of a thing, a question popped into my mind, Mick. That uh, hopefully you can answer. We've all heard the name Stanley Blackburn. He was a real person, not necessarily. No, not he had no power in the AWA. But when did Stanley Blackburn become the, the, the big time high official of the AWA? Do you remember when that was? The Grand Poobah
1: of yeah. the AWA. I know this would have been 1970s, I believe, because I can, in my mind, I'm envisioning Nick and Ray screaming about how they're being forced into this match by Stanley Blackburn. And you're not going to find us, Stanley Blackburn. We're going to be out on a boat in the Gulf of Mexico uh, fishing. Uh, but Stanley Blackburn, I guess, to my knowledge, was a friend of Vern Gagne. He was a businessman. I don't know if he was an attorney uh, or something like that. Uh, I know he was a landowner, big, kind of a hotshot guy uh, in Texas uh, in the Amarillo area. So Stanley Blackburn became the figurehead. Uh, president of the AWA and of course whenever a decision had to be overturned, what better way to get the heat off of you than to claim Stanley Blackburn looked at the video footage in his office in Amarillo and have reversed the decision and uh, no uh, Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel did not win the championship last night. The wrong man was pinned or whatever it was. You also knew when Stanley was coming into town and he was going to be sitting ringside Something was going to happen. It was either good or bad. Some kind of a major decision when Stanley would, uh, you know, pick up the the free flight in from Vern, you know, and and the uh, the bar at the Dykeman Hotel and whatever it was, and and render his decision from that ringside seat. So yes, people who say there was no Stanley Blackburn, yes there was. Did he have a figurehead title? Yes, he did. Did he have any real power in the AWA? No.
2: Thank you for that insight. And I, I still get asked to this day Was Stanley Blackburn real. As soon as somebody asks me that, I'm like, so you don't, you didn't really watch the AWA, did you? I mean, he was there for super Sunday. He was on some promos, uh, very, very little bit, but he was still there. Um, moving on our next guy, you, you know, an awful lot about his brother, but, He really wasn't here for that long. But when he was, along with his brother, they formed a pretty good tag team. So good that they won the tag team belts. I'm talking about Paul the Butcher,
1: Bashan. What a tremendous promo picture that is. And the reason that I say that Paul is a forgotten face in the AWA, I guess technically he's really not. Of course, the Bashans are legendary. Former world tag team champions. But Mad Dog, as history has gone on, because Mad Dog was more of a singles wrestler and competed here in the AWA area into the 1980s, Butcher kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Uh, 300 pounder at his peak, probably six foot three, six foot four. (coughs) Excuse me, a tough guy. Uh, Used the hangman's hold to a great advantage. Uh, to take care of his opponents. The feuds that Red Bastion and Billy Red Lions uh, had with the Vachon brothers or the Crusher and Dick the Bruiser and the Vachon brothers, legendary to a fault. Butcher Vachon, as I said, kind of gets lost in the shuffle because of the notoriety that Maurice had all those years. He was a great, great talent. Uh, Still to this day, God bless him. Butcher Vachon is still with us. Uh, I know he's well into his 80s. I know he's had a myriad of physical problems uh, over the past several years. But it wasn't that long ago I saw him at Collie Fowler Alley Cup. God bless him. He comes in there with his walker and he's schmoozing with the fans and, and you know, signing autographs. Uh, not only a great wrestler, but he's an author, a great singer. Uh, you know, he, he actually did uh, sang some songs on the when he went to WWF. In the uh, late, in the 1980s, uh, he actually grabbed the microphone and sang on Tuesday Night Titans or whatever the heck they called it. Uh, Butcher, great singing voice, saw him singing at at, the Cauliflower Alley Club. So God bless you, Butcher Vashad, for everything that you did and continue to do uh, for the business. One quick aside, and again unless you're a, a wrestling nerd like I am and you pick up on all this shit over the years that means nothing in the scheme of things. There's a match on WWF television from back in the 80s, and I don't know who Butcher I think it was wrestling Tito Santana. And Butcher is on, on the canvas, and he's on his back, and Tito has a, a leg lock on Butcher, and Butcher's slapping the mat. He's slapping the mat because he's in such pain. Well, he reaches out and he grabs the rope and he extricates himself, so Tito has to break the hold. Well, I'm not sure if Butcher realized that he was out of the hold or not because he continued to slap the mat long after Tito was already in a standing position. So <laughs> it may have been residual effect uh, of the of the pain and the torture to the uh, the ACL. I'm not sure. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Paul Vichon, a Facebook friend, a real-life legend in this business. Not enough superlatives for Butcher Vachon.
2: From a name that I certainly knew and many of our fans know as well, the Vishans, to uh, Rocky Hamilton. Never heard of him. Rocky Hamilton comes from a
1: famous wrestling family. Uh, his brother... Uh, Jody Hamilton was one of the original assassins and, of course, a Hall of Fame wrestler in the NWA territory into Georgia. I believe it is Rocky's nephew, uh, Nick Patrick, uh, who is uh, you know, legendary as a referee in WCW. It's, uh, it's Nick Hamilton. So there's that family lineage. What was Rocky's history in the AWA? When he was here, he also had a feud with a Crusher. You're going 1962, 1963-ish. He was a big, tough guy. No nonsense. They built him out of St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, legendary feud with Crusher. As a matter of fact, their feud culminated in a loser leaves town on a mule match. <laughs> I know you've done that occasionally in your life once in a while, Joe, or at least, you know, they've escorted you out of a bar uh, on a mule or you've left with a jackass. I I don't know me, you know, one or the other. Okay. But uh, yeah, Rocky Hamilton legitimately got on a mule and uh, or Rocky Hamilton. But for the, for the times that he was here in the AWA Larry Rocky Hamilton wrestling the likes of Doug Gilbert and, you know, and again, the feud with Crusher, Uh, great, great stuff. And there's that legacy. There's that link, his brother, as I said, Jody Hamilton, one of the original assassins, one of the greatest tag teams in the history of wrestling.
2: Next guy on the list. I've heard of him, but I'll just by name only. So yet again, Mick going to have to uh, get you to fill in the blanks here. Talking about Cowboy Bob Ellis.
1: There he is, Cowboy Bob Ellis. You know, he's one of these guys that had movie star good looks about him, uh, wrestled from the 1950s, I believe, into the 1980s. His stint in the AWA was not all that long. He was one of the, you know, typical uh, Texas Cowboys who would come in with the finishing hole. Imagine this, the bulldog side headlock. Uh, Very, very, very popular. Uh, He wrestled extensively in the Chicagoland area and also for Dick the Bruiser in the W.W.A. That's where he really gained his clout and his legacy in the wrestling business. Uh, Cowboy Bob here, successful run in the A.W.A. Headlined a couple of shows. Uh, A lot of times he was in tag team action. Never got the traction here in the A.W.A. that he should have. That's why we kind of put him in the forgotten names of the A.W.A. list. But, To my knowledge, Bob Ellis, if God willing, he's still with us, is the oldest living main event professional wrestler in the United States. And he's got to be pushing 100 years old. Uh, Again, I don't know that last I heard Bob was was around, uh, kind of shied away from doing the fan club convention reunion scene for many, many years. But Bob Ellis, Cowboy Bob, Legacy, for sure, of the AWA and elsewhere.
2: To wrap things up, I've definitely heard of our last wrestler on the list. Um, he was known as the man with a cast iron stomach, if I'm not mistaken. I'm talking about Reggie Parks.
1: We've discussed
2: Reggie several
1: times on this show. And when I say forgotten names in the history of the AWA, in the history of the business, Reggie Parks is not a forgotten name. Not only because he wrestled literally all over the world. You know, when Reggie came here to the AWA in, uh, I believe, 1964, uh, they built him from Australia. And Reggie was another Canadian guy. I have no idea why they built him from Melbourne, Australia. Imagine that, the world of wrestling, they, they change a guy's country. Um but Reggie was always in phenomenal condition. You referred to him as the man with the cast iron stomach. One of Reggie's feats of strength, and he did this at the Calhoun Beach Hotel. Outside in the back lot, he would lay down and a Volkswagen bus would actually run over uh, Reggie's stomach. They protected it only by a, by a towel to you know prevent cutting of the skin. Uh, but it, it was the real deal. and Reggie was in such great shape that of course the promoters would you know take advantage of this uh, cast iron stomach situation. So a guy like Golden Moose Cholock 360 pounds would try to deliver his L squash show to the stomach of Reggie Parks to no avail. Uh, you know that's like giving you you know to pick one plate of spaghetti and saying you're done. It just it just doesn't happen. Uh, but Reggie Parks, of course, not only, Uh, Did he develop, I believe, a dry cleaning company, of all things, when he retired? But he was, and I say was because he passed not that long ago, the king of the belt makers. Reggie got into the business of making championship belts. He was the best in the world at that. Uh, Some of the legendary titles that you will see from back in the day were as a result of the reggie parks creativity so god bless you reggie parks
0: very
2: nice welcome back chris
0: thank you thank you and i'm glad that the pictures were able to work later on in uh in the show so i appreciate you guys you know being at the forefront while i'm kind of you know normally in the background just uh, other things kind of have to you know push me to the back all right, we got about three minutes here, guys. Let's get to some shout outs and then uh, take care of some business. And then, Mick, uh, you and I are going to uh, get ready to go to Waterloo. So let's get some yeah, shout yeah. outs. A little shout out to uh, this pains me,
1: Chris. You know, this pains me to do this. Jeremy Chura. You mean a pain, in
0: the, pain in the ass, right? There he, he is.
1: But he is the most lovable pain in the ass in and around the wrestling business. Jeremy Chura. Uh, I can't tell you what a loyal guy this is, not only to our podcast, but to the Unleashed page, to you, the to, to the, the three of us specifically. He's such a great mm-hmm. friend. He will go out on a limb to do anything he can to further People. our success. And as you know, he and I go back and forth on Facebook a lot, you know, taking jabs at each other, but that's the beauty of it. I can't say enough good things about Jeremy Chura and my check better be in the mail.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So real quick follow up on Jeremy. If, uh, uh, if you follow us, which, you know, hopefully you are already doing, and you may have seen us a picture of Chris and I and Jeremy from this past Saturday when we did a live Q and a and, Chris, I think you're in agreement, but Jeremy is number one in our book. He was right? number one. He was the man in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Wait. He was the man in the middle. Jeremy, so. you are number, number one. Number
0: one, Jeremy. No, we, we love you. He. He, he's, he's a good dude. He goes along with the bit. And, I mean, whenever you need something, you can count on Jeremy. Absolutely. Yep.
2: And speaking of our live Q&A from this past uh, weekend, My shout-out goes to the three-headed monster that runs Midwest All-Star Wrestling, or M.A.W. That is Eli McCausland, David Amitrano, and Brian Sager. Thank you for inviting us out this past weekend. We were able to see uh, Nikita Koloff and Ken Patera and Eddie Sharkey get inducted into the Minnesota Wrestling Mm -hmm. Hall of Fame uh great day great to see those guys again and uh bob cowboy bob orton was there for the fan fest so thank you maw for allowing us to come in and do our q a we we enjoyed it even though we didn't have mick there he was busy getting a brazilian blowout i think or something but well blowout
0: out of somewhere yes and and, uh but yeah thanks for uh reminding me i didn't put brian i didn't put brian's name on there he's gonna you're gonna give me some shit here uh hollywood you know i mean hollywood. hollywood hollywood's gonna come after me uh i'm gonna say christopher de carlo because oh. they've got a, a fun podcast as well falls count anywhere good dudes out in uh upper state new york so chris uh appreciate you my friend all right uh that's gonna do it here we got about uh 30 seconds left uh we'll wrap it up and mick you and i are gonna head to iowa here in uh just a couple of days
1: Yes, we are we're going on to Waterloo reconnect with some old friends for the hall of fame induction, uh, down there. Joyce Boston is, is already, uh, hiding under wraps, uh, hoping we don't spot her and try to actually engage her in conversation. But you know, Joyce, you, you're, we're going to get you and we're going to get Woody and we're going to get that trivia contest title back too.
2: We got to get Joyce on the show.
0: She was on once and she's got a pretty cool book that's out, but, we're going to be selling t shirts, it's going to be 15 bucks a pop. But if you want it signed by Mick, it'll be 10.